We're going to read together from Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is week 9 out of 10 in our series through the Ten Commandments. And I've just realized actually uh, during preparation that I haven't actually read the whole thing out at once. So we're going to do that today because otherwise we're just reading like four or five words together when we come to each week for the commandments. So I'm going to read the whole thing because it's important for us to remember these come together as a whole and to get the context and the flow of what God says to the church through the Ten Commandments. So we're going to start together um, at the beginning of chapter 5. Uh, just to give us a bit of preamble and remind us what's going on when we come to these commandments. So this is God's word, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, that you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, that is, Sinai. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at the time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Down to verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Down to verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, uh, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox, his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. We'll leave the reading of God's word there just now. And today we're going to be focusing on the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I don't know if this is a thing. Maybe you've heard this term before. I'm not sure. Maybe I've just made it up. But have you experienced what I'm describing as Brexit fatigue right now? Just tired of hearing about this day after day, week after week. As it turns out, year after year, the same old thing getting churned over. But one of the reasons why I'm so tired, and maybe you're so tired about hearing about it, is because of the, the anger and the aggression that seems to be stirred up when we talk about Brexit. It, it seems to drag up from, from those on TV and those on social media and maybe even yourselves uh, deep, deeply held feelings and convictions, no matter what side of the debate you stand on. And yet there's so much anger and aggression and so much attack against people and their character and their motivations. It's not so much always ideas that are being attacked, but it's the person themselves. It's their character. You know, mudslinging, seeking to, to make someone look as bad as possible rather than to talk about their ideas. And often when, that, when a leader or someone with influence stands up and, and starts uh, slinging mud at someone else and their character and trying to defame them, then other people jump on the bandwagon. You know, and before you know it, you've got a movement started, and, and now you're trying to you know, take this or that person out of the, of the realm. 
happens, of course, in local politics as well, doesn't it? We know, we know full well uh, what that looks like. Uh, the ideas are often secondary. What you know, seems to be most prominent a lot of the time is arrogance or you know, uh, you know, all these other sort of character issues that we talk about. But this sort of toxic trash talk happens every day, not just around the whole Brexit divide, but it happens every day to you and I. We experience it. We're often immersed in it. It happens in church life. As much as we don't want to admit it, it does. No matter what area of life it is, uh, trash talking, taking people down, trying to destroy their character, has nothing good attached to it. It is destructive. It is divisive, as we have seen, and it erodes trust. It erodes relationship, which ironically is the basis for a unity, trust and relationship. Thankfully, the Bible uh, speaks directly to this issue. And the Bible presents us, both Old and New Testament, with this bigger vision of what God wishes it to be like. He has a bigger vision and bigger plans for how his people should react to one another, and no less within the church than anywhere else. And as we've been seeing over the last few weeks as we've been going through this series, God wants his people to be a people of love and of justice and of purpose. And nowhere is that more important, first and foremost, than among one another, interpersonally. This is where it starts. And that's what the ninth commandment gets at. So let's look at that together. Um, if, you, if you need to follow it, it's on the back of your sheet. Um, and this is verse 20 of Deuteronomy 5. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The original context uh, you can probably detect it already in the words, but uh, the context is, is within the law court you know, scenario. It's giving a false witness if you were stood um, testifying about someone, either for or against them. God is saying you shall not give a false witness. This is sort of expounded and opened up later on in the law code in Exodus 23. It says this. I'll read it for you. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked person to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. You shall not bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. So it's kind of that legal uh, you know, context that primarily and, and firstly we're thinking about here when it comes to the ninth commandment. Don't spread a false report about people and certainly don't lie about them on the stand to get them into trouble to get them out of the way. That is evil in the eyes of God. Treated very, very seriously. In fact, in Deuteronomy 19, uh, God states, and he puts in this other sort of law uh, to sort of expound and, and, and explain uh, the ninth commandment. He says, if you are caught lying about someone else in court, and that person either falsely goes to, to prison or falsely is punished, and it turns out that you were spinning some yarn, that you were talking rubbish, that you were flinging mud at them, then you shall be liable to the penalty that you wanted them to have. That's how serious God takes this. You shall be liable to the same punishment you wanted someone else to have because of your false lies and your gossip, etc. And so, as we've seen, this this principle um, is broadened throughout all of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testaments, you shall not you know, bear a false witness of your neighbor. It goes beyond the bounds of the legal system and the law courts. 
And it includes painting, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the principle of painting people in the bad light, of, of, of speaking lies against them, anybody, of speaking slander against them, which is just making stuff up, gossiping, distorting the truth about a person. This is all included within the ninth commandment, giving a specifically bleak interpretation of someone's actions or words for your gain. That's ruled out in the ninth commandment. Harsh condemnation, jumping to conclusions, all of these things the scripture opens up when it comes to the ninth commandment. You shall not spread a false report. And the thing that I put to you today, I believe, is that we all do this in many different ways, depending on you and your situation and your, your, your makeup, um, may come out on you differently. Um, but none of us are immune to this, the pressure, anyway, to do this. Every day, forms of breaking the ninth co- commandment might be this. I don't know if this is relevant for you, but gossiping. Let's say gossiping at work with a, with a colleague about someone else when you're still at the water cooler or when you're in the staff canteen. You know, sometimes we just say giving off. You're just giving off. Just venting. But how much of that giving off or venting is, is, is based on truth and based on love? And how much is, it, is, is falsehood and, and, and a careful choosing of your words? Is that what you do? Maybe you propagate falsehood. You know, you're a bit of a rumor mill. You hear something and, and you just sort of pass it on because it's juicy. It gets you some sort of level of influence or power. Even if it's partially true about the person who's in question, maybe you just find it very, very difficult Uh, not to pass that information on. Gossiping. It's a great way to make friends quickly, isn't it? Or or build influence is by forming a common enemy and by talking and by joining the bandwagon and and destroying someone's character through these everyday means of gossip and slander. You can can find uh, friends very quickly. They're some of the everyday ways that we can break this commandment. You know, you can do it online as well. You don't have to do it even to someone's face or face-to-face with another person. You know, the keyboard warriors of, of this generation uh, sitting on various social media sites or blogs, you know, just, just again, uh, thinking nothing of it and destroying someone's character or just slinging mud or maybe on social media, you know, uh, spreading rumors and gossip and just giving assent to things that are blatantly not true or, or false, uh, or partially false. We can do it in school or in, in, the, uh, you know, in the university setting. Academically, we can choose to misrepresent a certain person or a certain position that they hold, even if we're only reading about them in the books, so as to make our position look and sound a lot better. And we can certainly do it in the church, can't we? I know it doesn't happen here in this church, but say hypothetically, you know, we dislike something that the pastor's doing or something that he has said or what have you, or some other person in the church. We disagree with that. And rather than uh, take issue uh, and process it in the way that Jesus teaches, you go to that person in private and have that conversation. Rather than do that, uh, church people are pretty, pretty, pretty good at having car park meetings. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a car park meeting. It's the meeting that happens after the meeting, right? When you sort of rally people together and or maybe you're part of that group and, and you get together and you sort of start talking and then the bandwagon starts to, starts to form and other people jump on and... Often at the center of one of these uh, car park meetings is a, is a position of someone else has been greatly uh, misrepresented or blown out of proportions. We do it all the time. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. I reckon, this is totally non-scientific, this is just my own intuition. I, I, I reckon that we can present, prevent 90% 
of church splits and church disunity and church fallouts and church walkouts. We could prevent 90% of all that if we actually take seriously the ninth commandment and live it out. I reckon it is that important and it can be that devastating if we screw this up as a church. 90%. So just think about it for a moment. If we, if we as a community minimize, well, kill, kill off our gossip, kill this stuff dead, if we choose instead to speak well of one another, speak love about one another, speak in love and generosity, then we will protect, then we will uphold the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Then we will become a community of glorious trust and integrity, a community of love. And how much does our world need a community like that, a group of people committed to that value? Before we look at what the gospel says and what Jesus teaches about this, uh, it's important for us to, to go a little deeper, another layer of the onion to be peeled away here before we move on. The question is, why, why is this such a problem, do you think, for church people, for working people, for politicians? Why is it such a problem? Why do we do it? Why do we spread false reports intentionally, manipulate the truth for our own gain? Why do we do it? Well, here I think is, is the answer, at least one of the answers that we do, as to why we do this. We, we misrepresent people by, by majoring on the minors. We, we, we misrepresent people. We unfairly speak about them, not to mention plain old lies. We do that to try and make the person that we're talking about, or people, as small as evil, as unkind, as stupid, as heavy-handed as we possibly can in the eyes of ourselves and other people. That's why we do it. That's why we ascribe the worst motivations possible to somebody or something that we do not like. Why is it a problem? Because we are seeking, what we're doing in that moment is we are seeking to lower that person as much as possible. We're seeking to weaken them, to bring them down. Why do we do that? Not for fun, not because we've got nothing else to do, but we do that so that inadvertently we can raise ourselves up. We, we, we lower people as much as possible so that we can look bigger, we can look better, we can look more true, we can look more virtuous, more righteous compared to that person and their stupid ideas, and their evil hearts. That's why we do it. Raise ourselves up by crushing someone else to the ground, even if it's just with words. Because let's face it, it's never just words, is it? What do we hope to gain from doing that, this power play with words? Why, why do we do it? What do we hope to gain? There are many reasons why you or I may do this whether in work or church or some other situation. Sometimes it's because we, we're, we're in a place of low self-confidence. And so in order to sort of build ourselves up, we have to attack other people and, and crush them down and, and, and reduce them to, to nothing in our eyes so that we can feel better about ourselves. That's one of the reasons why we might do it. We might do it because we so value and cherish the opinion of other people and their approval that we will hop on the bandwagon, that we will join in the rumor mill, that we will add gossip and gossip about that person because my enemy's enemy is my friend. Maybe we want to make our own idea, our own position, our own experience look good or better or greater than someone else's. 
Maybe we want to gather support for our cause, for our agenda. Maybe you're going for a job uh, opportunity. Maybe you want a position of influence, either within the church or outside the church. Maybe you want to justify some sin that's deep in your heart. And you know it's wrong, and yet you just want to bring other people down. So at least you feel a bit better about yourself. Many reasons why we do this. But ultimately, bringing people down low with our words so we can raise ourselves up. Folks, we are here at Foundation Church. We are a community on mission. We are a community on mission. We are gospel-centered. And so we have got to get this right. We cannot be another church that goes to the wall and tears itself apart because we cannot speak the truth in love to one another. We've got to understand this commandment. We've got to live it out. The world knows nothing else as well. Let's not forget that. We see this on TV. We are, we are immersed in it. The world knows nothing else. This is the way the world operates, lowering others so we can raise ourselves up. But we have an opportunity here in Foundation Church to draw on the strength of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, not only to kill off all the gossip, all of the, the trash talk and the mudslinging, we get only, not only to kill that off, but to defend and to promote our neighbor's good name. Okay, it's not enough just to not do it, but because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit with us, we have the power, we have the motivation to speak well of one another, to promote the good reputation and to defend the good reputation of those around us, to speak the truth in love, speaking and believing the best about people rather than highlighting their worst. Let's face it, we're all fallen, right? None of us are perfect, so it's easy for us to find a negative in someone else. Just as easy as it for someone else to find a negative in you. That's a given. But because of Jesus and because of the gospel, as we shall see, there is a better way. There is a, a hope that we can show the world through our words and our actions. So where does this power come from? Let's think about this. Where does this power come from to live like this to such an extent that people will look and say, that is a person, that is a man or a woman of integrity, of truth and of love? Where does the power come from to live like that? How can we live as a people of love, purpose, and justice? How can we really do that? Because I've been saying it every week, and just because I stand up here and say it, it might stick in your mind a bit, but how does it actually and really happen? Well, the answer is through the power of the gospel. I hope to show you that every Sunday and and bring you there. But it's through the power of the gospel. See, we can't just simply decide whether it's this commandment or any commandment in the Bible. We can't just simply decide to go and do it on our own strength. You might get on okay. You might manage a week or two without gossip or engaging on that chat room or in that form of social media or slagging off your boss or whatever it happens to be. You might start off okay, but soon, soon, you will resort back to the tools of the world, you will start once again trying to build yourself up by lowering other people down. Because those forces are too strong, whether it's self-confidence, lack, and you need to do that, or, or, or loving the affirmation of other people. Whatever it happens to be, the forces are too strong. So where does this power come from? Well, of course, it comes from the gospel. Because the gospel promises us new power and a greater power than anything that can drag you back down again to live as the world lives. The Apostle John uh, was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of the the inner three, uh, James and John and Peter. And 
the three of them with Jesus formed the, the, the central uh, hub, if you like, of the 12 apostles. Uh, quite often, uh, John and James and Peter were taken off and had sort of uh, teaching, perhaps, that the others didn't have, and, and moments with Jesus. Uh, John, so therefore, John was one of Jesus' closest friends and knew him better than most. And so when John was looking back over the life of Jesus and as he was writing uh, his gospel account, John says this of Jesus. I've got the words here on the, on the screen behind me. The word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and what? Truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus, you see, is all about truth. He is full of it. And John fleshes this out throughout the entire gospel account in the book of John. Jesus' teaching is about truth. His actions are about truth. Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we've got to ask ourselves, though, what is Jesus true about? What is truth? It's the truth about God. The God is our Heavenly Father. It's the truth about his own relationship to the Father as the Son. He came to reveal that truth. And he came to speak the truth about the coming Holy Spirit. And he came to speak the truth about the way to knowing God and enjoying God through following Jesus and trusting him. That's the truth that Jesus came to speak about and provide in his body. And yet that truth as we see in the Gospel of John and many other places, that truth was too much to handle for the religious leaders of his day. Because you see, the thing about truth is that it has a habit of showing up the lies. It's like light. Jesus said, I'm the light, didn't he? It shines light on the dark recesses of your heart and my heart. Truth is great in principle, but when it comes home, not always so good. Jesus, of course, as well, knew a thing or two about false testimony. This, this commandment was consistently broken in response to Jesus. Jesus was, was someone who, throughout his ministry uh, on earth, uh, ha- endured such immense slander and gossip and, and verbal tirades against him. Time and again, malicious rumors spun around all of Palestine when Jesus was ministering, often put into play by religious leaders who did not want the truth, certainly not the truth as Jesus taught it. They said he was the son of a devil, and that went round quicker than wildfire. They spread rumors about him being born out of wedlock, which in that ancient culture was deeply shameful. They, they, they said he had come to build himself a kingdom and to destroy Rome by force. That was a lie. All of this was untrue. Even at Jesus' own trial, they arranged numerous false witnesses to do exactly what the law said do not do. They, they came against Jesus with, with, with trumped-up stories and slander and betrayal. And yet, as the Gospels teach us, none of that stuff stuck. They tried to get their stories together, and yet even that was not enough to convict Jesus. This flimsy evidence, this rigged trial, and eventually they managed to get him sentenced to death by crucifixion. But John again comes back and says to us, 
that wasn't it. That was not it. Because the truth of Jesus was so true, and true is true, that it blew through all the lies and all the falsehoods and all the sin and all the darkness that was put upon Jesus Christ. The truth was too great. The life was too strong for the grave. In fact, he says this. I've got it up on the screen at the beginning of John's letter. First John, it says this. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, that we have looked upon, we have touched with our hands. He's referring to Jesus who came up out of the grave, who was a real man with real flesh and real blood. He says that life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify. That is, we, 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 we talk truth about it to proclaim to you that eternal life. The grave wasn't the end. John saw Jesus many times after he rose from the grave to newness of life, eternal life. And we heard him and we touched him and we had breakfast with him. And he was real flesh and blood, just like we are. That's what he's saying. But let me add just one more element. He goes on to say this, little children. I'm writing this letter so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? What is an advocate? It is someone who speaks the truth about you. He speaks the truth about you. The one who is truth and who spoke truth and revealed truth, he speaks the truth about you. And he does that from his position with God the Father ascended at the right hand. That's what John is getting at here. He's tying all these threads together. But what truth is Jesus speaking about you right now? If you're a Christian, if you're someone who believes in Jesus and trusts him and leans on him and what he said and what he's done, what truth is Jesus speaking about you right now to God the Father? Is he saying, look at this person, look at her, look at her screw-ups, look at his bad calls, look at his gossip, look at her stupid moves, look at his sins, look at the way that she has hurt someone so deeply? Is that the truth that Jesus is speaking about you? Because he speaks truth? No. That is not the truth that Jesus is speaking about you. Because in the eyes of God, that is not the ultimate truth. That is not the defining truth about you. Because of Jesus, because he went to the grave, because he rose again. The truth that Jesus is speaking about you is the ultimate reality, which is true about you. He is saying to his father right now, listen to this, right now, he is your advocate. He has stood there right now saying to God the father about you. Look, look at how clean he is. Look at how righteous she is. Look at how beautiful his life is. Look at how delightful she is. He's saying about you right now, because he is your advocate, he is saying, my righteousness, Father, my sacrifice, Father, my blood, my beauty on them, on him. On her. Right this second. Jesus is your advocate. And that is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the truth about you based on what he did. Folks, when you understand that, that this is happening right now, 
spoken over you. That's what Jesus is saying about, about you to God. It will floor you. When we, when we break the ninth commandment, and we do it really well, we do it really creatively, in many different ways, when we break the ninth commandment, we try and bring others down to artificially raise ourselves up. But in the gospel, Jesus was brought down so that you could be raised up. But you'll be raised up in Jesus and through him and because of him, far greater and far higher in God's eyes than you could do ever on your own. That's the promise of the gospel. Paul, the apostle Paul, describes it in this way. He says, when we look at Jesus, when we see him as he is, not just as he was, but as he is now, it is as if we are putting on Christ. We saw this last week. Putting him on as if a new set of clothing, but it's more than that, much more than that. A new life, a whole life change, a new heart. You're putting on Christ when you see Jesus like this. I think I've got it here on the slide. No, I don't. He says, therefore, Paul, when you see Jesus like this, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That is an interpretation of the ninth commandment. So as we close out, how do we respond? What is Paul teaching us here? Firstly, he says, having put away falsehood. This is Ephesians 4.25, by the way. Having put away falsehood. You've already done this. When you see Jesus as the truth and what he's doing for you just now as your advocate, when you see that and you take it into your heart, you will have already put away falsehood. That is gone. Gone. Taking off the old life, discarding the old clothing. Already done. When you see Jesus like this, you will make a decisive break from all that trash talking, all that mud slinging, all that gossiping, those pity parties, gone, dead. When you realize the truth that Jesus is speaking over you continually right now, moment by moment, that, friend, friend, that will release you from so much bitterness and resentment that your own lies and gossip and half-truths have stored up within your heart. Put away all falsehood. Let that release you. Let that truth release you right now. Having put away falsehood, Paul says. But secondly, he says, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. I'm really sorry I don't have it on the screen, but that's really important. Let each of you speak the truth not to his neighbor, not about his neighbor. Let each of you speak the truth with his or her neighbor. See, this is a community response to the ninth commandment that Paul is talking about. He says, if you get this, not only will you put away falsehood and kill it dead, but you will be a kind of people who speak the truth with each other, to each other. That is a community response. We've already talked about this briefly at the start. Gospel people, if we're going to be gospel people, we will be, by definition, a people of integrity. Because we are actively speaking truth with love to each other. And this is a, this is a beautiful thing, folks. But it's not a solitary thing. I don't want you to go away home here and think you have to go and do this on your own. This is what we do as a church, as a community 
on mission together. We need to be steeped in a community that is committed to love and truth, to building one another up rather than tearing each other down. Speak the truth with his neighbor. As a community, this, this must be a, a value of ours that we hold dear, a distinctive that makes us different from the world outside. And even when one of us slips up and we, we temporarily go into gossip mode, then others within your community, if you live within that community, if you commit yourself to living life within the gospel community, if one of us slips and temporarily goes into gossip mode, then those around us will have the grace We'll have the trust, we'll have the relational capital to love us and haul us back in and say, hey, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, speak the truth in love. Build up, don't tear down. And we'll do this together. Just imagine for a moment how, how powerful that can be. As I said, I reckon 90% of church splits and disunity and walkouts can be prevented by obeying this. Let that not be us, O oh Lord, because we take the ninth commandment seriously. If we get this, our church may enjoy life and vibrancy and unity. If you get this, you will become increasingly a person of standout integrity at work. Because what we're talking about is so against the grain that you will stand out. Maybe you will become a person of standout integrity in your family. In your online engagement and interaction with other people and their ideas in your politics, in your workplace. Just imagine as we close the the difference or the influence that you can earn and us as a community that we will earn if you're a person of integrity and character. If someone says, yes, that person, that coworker, he or her, they are a lover of truth. Folks, let's commit to loving each other and living out this commandment to the best of our abilities. By the grace of God, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would continue to minister to us uh, through your Spirit as we take a little time just to think about this and listen to you. Father God, would you show us areas of our lives where we have not done well, in obeying this commandment and living to your glory. Would you forgive us, O Lord, for gossip and speaking half-truths and manipulating the truth for our own gains. Lord, it's horrible, it is evil, it is wrong. It is not what a follower of Jesus should be doing. Forgive us, O Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that right now, as we sit here, you are interceding, you are our advocate you are saying to the Father, this is my child. Look at him. Look at her. How beautiful, how pure, how wonderful, how holy because of what I've done. Lord, we thank you for your ministry. And please would you confirm that to us and move within us as we continue to worship. Father, give us power to live this out. In the name of Jesus.